It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday edition of our podcast, which is uh, Q&A day, I guess, or question day. And sometimes they're answers. Sometimes they're just like long, meaningless series of sentences. But I'm going to do my best to answer the questions today, depending on what they uh, may be. And for that, I would need Mary Langston, whom I feel like I haven't done this with her in a month of Sundays, but <laughs> maybe it hadn't, maybe when you get old, it just seems like it's been a long time. It does seem like it's been a long time. Welcome back to South Carolina, Trey. Uh, well, you too, Mary Langston. And um, it, it, you know, no offense. We have, how many states do we have? 50? 50 beautiful states. Mm-hmm. But I very much like being in this one. So I am I'm thrilled to be back in South Carolina, although I did enjoy uh, being in New York. Um, and I better leave it right there. So lightning doesn't strike me. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we're glad to have you back. And we better get started, Trey. We have another great round of thoughtful questions. They're all over the board, which is always great. Um, and we appreciate great you all for, for sending them our way. Great for you for, and me. For whom would they then... be great? <laughs> uh, we'll find out. We will find out. It is a range. There's some law, some politics, some foreign affairs, and some sports. So Good. we'll end with sports. How about that? Well, let's start with sports and then <laughs> and then end with sports. How about that? We'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and get started, Trey. We appreciate you all for sending the questions. We always look forward to it each week. We'll start with a question from Marianne in Idaho. And she writes, what is the strategy for Brian Koberger standing silent and not entering a plea? Um, are you listening very carefully? Yes. What is the strategy for Brian Koberger standing silent and not entering a plea? That's the question? That's the question. All right, here's the answer. There is not one. There's mm-hmm. no strategy. The only possible strategy is if he is going to try and pursue some mental health defense, either at trial or sentencing. And even though uh, I don't think the death penalty has been announced and I'm not, I have no way of knowing what the prosecutors are going to do or should do, but it is certainly a death penalty eligible case. So they are treating it like it is a death penalty case. And they may pursue a mental health defense at trial, which is during the guilt phase, which is where you determine whether or not he committed the crime. And then at least in South Carolina and probably in most jurisdictions, there's a separate phase, a separate trial, which is the sentencing phase or sentencing trial where you determine what the punishment is. And you can pursue mental health defenses at either or both. I think what's important for folks... um, to remember about the entering of a plea, it's just a formality. 
the, the entering of a plea upon being indicted is simply a formality. I have been in courts before where the defendant was going to plead guilty. We knew he was going to plead guilty. He told us he was going to plead guilty, and he still sat there and said not guilty. That's that's what they all say at that phase. Even if you know that tomorrow you're going to plead guilty. Now, you may say, well, why? Well, I've also been in courtrooms where the judge that is presiding over that that hearing or that proceeding does not have the authority to take the plea. So even if everyone in the courtroom wanted to plead guilty that moment, the judge that is doing what we call the grand jury returns or the or the arraignment or the initial appearance does not have the power to take the plea. So what he was doing in court, and I don't mean by formality, I don't mean it's not important. It's important that the charges be read to you. But whether he answers or not is completely irrelevant. I've had defendants that refuse to answer any questions. What's your name? Are you happy with your lawyer? Do you want to apply for the public defender? They don't say anything. I've had them where they just sat there and scream at the judge. So the fact that he sat there and said nothing is utterly meaningless unless his trial team is going to try for some diminished capacity defense and they don't want him answering any questions because they want to be able to hope you know try to convince a jury that somehow and forgive me if my you know psychiatric terms are not right they're not clinical terms so forgive me if he's off in the head, it's hard to convince a jury that someone is off in the head when they're answering questions um, put to them by a judge and, and understanding what's being said. So that's the only thing I can think of is they've told him don't say anything to anybody because we're going to try to save your life by convincing a jury that you have uh, mental health issues. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you so much for breaking that down for us. Trey. Can I say one other thing? Not that you asked. Of course. You can fake being dumb, but mm. you cannot fake being smart. So, you know, it's fine that you have some defense attorneys that are now telling you, you know, act like you don't understand the questions, act like you don't speak English. You go back, um, you know, I don't know. When they administered tests to you, Mary Langston, they probably didn't because they thought that you were like angelic and should not have to take tests. But for the rest of us, we had like um, the Stanford Binet or the Wechsler test administered to us, maybe in third grade, maybe the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So you can go and get the numbers then as to what somebody's IQ is, their intelligence quotient. You can go get it when they're young. It's amazing <laughs> once they're charged with capital murder and their lawyers go and get a psychiatrist for them, how poorly they perform on those tests. So just keep in mind, you can fake being dumb. So you, you can sit there when you're charged with capital murder and intentionally get every question wrong and try to convince people that something's wrong with you. But you didn't fake it when you were in the third grade or the sixth grade or the ninth grade. So those are the test scores that mean a whole lot more to me and probably to a jury as well. But that's why he's not talking, because his defense team is going to try to pursue some mental health defense, is my guess.
Wow, there's a lot to that it. Well, thank you. Yes, sir. There is a lot behind it. Well, let's just start with my first sentence. It is utterly meaningless. It does not mean anything. And it's not going to work. I mean, mm. he may not get the death penalty. They may not seek it. But it's not going to be because he stood silent when a judge said, how do you plead? I don't think that's going to sway anyone. We're going to hold it right there. Be back right after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that. Thank you, Miriam, for that question. We have another legal type question next. Oh, Lord. And Are it's from serious? Brad. It's like you're a lawyer or something. I'm not now. Not anymore. <laughs> Um, but it's from Brad in Washington State. He writes, why are depositions in criminal cases the exception and not the rule? Or is that just a Northwest custom? He says it seems like getting it right in criminal cases is more important than in civil cases. So why not allow defense attorneys the right to depose prosecution witnesses as part of the discovery process? That is another really good question. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to answer it without non-lawyers having their eyes glaze over. So I'm going to try to answer it like I would be answering it not for the law school class that I teach, but for the college class that I teach for people who have not been to law school. So we got to back up and let our listeners know a deposition is an interview under oath. The judge is not there. The jury is not there. The lawyers are there and the court reporter is there. And there's a transcript. So imagine, Mary Langston, that you go into a conference room at a law firm and there's a court reporter or a stenographer and the lawyers for the plaintiff or the defendant in a civil case, because they're very, very common in civil cases. Mm. They're both in the room. And let's say you witnessed a, a car accident. So before you ever go to court, before the trial even thinks about beginning, they're going to depose you. They're going to take your deposition. Mm-hmm. They're going to ask you what you saw, what you heard, uh, what you experienced, what you sensed. Are they going to ask all of that stuff? It's under oath. You have an obligation to tell the truth. There's a transcript of it, and that's a deposition. So there are some states that do allow it, and it is commonplace in civil cases. So this question smartly asked, if we want to get it right in civil cases, we should like even more so want to get it right in criminal cases. So that's the kind of the background behind this question. There are some states that allow it in criminal cases. I think even the federal rules guy, it's been a long time since I looked, but I think the federal rules allow it in what we call exceptional circumstances. Like if a witness is about to die and the trial is weeks and weeks in the future, that would be an exceptional circumstance. So why not more often? Um, Well, you know, I'm going to try to, again, not sound like a lawyer and not treat this like a law school class, but it is still an out-of-court statement offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted, which means it is hearsay. And I get that it's under oath. And I get that there's cross-examination, but it is still technically an out-of-court statement, right? We're not in court, right? Mm. It's an out-of-court statement offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted. You have an obligation to tell the truth. 
is an out-of-court statement. So it is technically hearsay. The other thing that catches my attention is in criminal cases, the defendant may very well have a right to be present while witnesses are interviewed. So, I mean, in a homicide case, I mean, you're going to, like, let the defense attorney interview the parents of the homicide victim and let the defendant sit right there while it all happens? I mean, or maybe the argument is the defendant doesn't have a right to be present at that phase. I, I don't I'm sure there's a case on it and the jurisdictions that do allow depositions of criminal cases. Here's the other part of it. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong. This question says. Why can't defense attorneys depose government or prosecution witnesses, right? Mm hmm. Well. Uh, the old prosecutor in me might want to know what's good for the goose should be good for the gander. Why, why don't we depose all witnesses? Mm. You know why we don't? Because they don't even have to tell me who their witnesses are. They don't even have to tell me if they have any witnesses. So the prosecution, at least in South Carolina, you know, when I hear that a witness is going to testify for a defendant, <laughs> the same time you do. Mm. So there's no preparation. You got to think so fast on your feet. You you can sit there and think, well, they may call this person, they may call that person, but I've had judges that didn't even make the defendant call out their list of witnesses during jury selection. So you may have a member of the jury that knows one of the defendant's witnesses because we haven't heard any of the names. So, you know, you know me. I I think. Well, what's good for one side ought to be good for the other. If you're going to depose cops or uh, or survivors, how about that? How about if you survive the crime? How about, how about if it's a domestic violence case or a sexual assault? You mean to tell me that you are going to let the defense attorneys interview the victim yet again? You already interviewed the night of the crime already probably interviewed by a sex assault therapist or specialist, already interviewed at the hospital by the nurse, already prepped and interviewed by the prosecutor, and she still has to go to trial. Mm -hmm. So you want to add to that another interview by the defense attorney. Here's another thing I would throw at you, not to get too worked up over the issue, but... um. Mary Linkson, have you ever, you're a terrible person for me to ask this question of, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mm. Have you ever, like, assessed that someone was not being honest with you based on their body language or their lack of eye content, uh, eye contact, or uh, the fact that they avert their eyes? Mm. I mean, have you ever been in the presence of someone and they just did not have the indicia of credibility? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how in the world are you going to do that from a deposition? It's just a transcript. It's just wow. words on a piece of paper. But I'll bet you whoever asked this question is sitting there thinking, well, nope, you still have to call the witness at trial. You mm -hmm. still, I'm not saying that you can put the deposition in in place of the witness. The jury still gets to see the witness. Well, then all you're doing is creating an opportunity for there to be a prior inconsistent statement. So, I don't know. Um, tell me something you did today, Mary Langston. Uh, went outside. Somewhere? Okay, you went outside. 
Mm-hmm. And I could ask you in a deposition to tell me everything you saw. Mm-hmm. I saw flowers. I saw it looks like some rain clouds, but they didn't come. I saw I saw a bumblebee. And you could. You, you, I mean, first of all, you're incapable of telling a lie. You're just not <laughs> capable of it. So it wouldn't be a lie. You just forgot to mention all the cars you noticed that drove by when you were in your front yard. Mm. But you didn't mention it in your deposition, but you remembered it at trial. So I'm going to cross-examine you on your failure to recollect, failure to recall something as important, which is really meaningless, by the way, as the cars that drove by you. I'm trying to cast dispersions on your reliability. And I'm going to say, well, wait a second, Miss Mary Langston, you were deposed Weeks and weeks and weeks ago, that was even closer to the time of the incident than than we are now. And you didn't remember it then. So you are doing nothing but creating a prior inconsistent statement for the defense to use against government witnesses. Wow. So that said, that said, I don't take any of the I am not assigning any of those motives uh, to the person ask us this question, none. It is a very, very good question. If the purpose is to find the truth and we use this tool in civil cases, why not use it in criminal cases? And I would say the answer, as cynical as this sounds, is not always to find the truth in a criminal case. If the objective were to find the truth, then defendants would have to talk. Mm. The objective in a criminal case is to see whether or not the state has met its burden of proof. That's who charged. That's who has the burden of proving it. If this really were a joint pursuit of the truth, then we should hear from everyone who has any access to facts or knowledge. And that includes the defendant. And we don't do that. And I'm not saying we should do that. We should not do that. You should never have to give testimony against yourself. But I would be careful with the joint pursuit of the truth. Um, I think it is more a series of policies and procedures that we have adopted that may eventually get us to whether or not the state has met its burden of proof. That is the objective in a criminal case. So that's just off the top of my head why I think we don't have depositions in criminal cases. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for that. We definitely felt like we were going to law school. Is wow Latin for that's the most boring thing I've ever heard in my life? Is that what wow means? No, it's not. I actually didn't know any of that. So I appreciate it on a personal level that you explained it in a way that I can actually understand because I didn't go to law school. So I'm sure there are people out there that didn't go to law school that appreciate that. Yeah, you, you know, you even did the not. difference between criminal and civil and all of that. Well, you, you you did not go to law school, which is why I'm really sure that you're going to make it to heaven. <laughs> no, that's not the only reason. Um, but thank you for answering that, Trey. And thank you, Brad, for that thoughtful question. We're going to switch gears a little bit, Trey, and we're going to move on to our next question. And it's from Jeffrey in Florida. He writes, which country is our greatest enemy? You're really going from depositions to foreign policy. Right. 
Huh. And then we're gonna go to sports. It's gonna be oh. all ranges. Wow. Um, I know a lot more about sports than I do foreign policy. I would most people would say China because of size of the country, its reach, uh, its influence, its military strength, its wealth. You can add to that our reliance on them for any manner of things, including pharmaceuticals, um, supply chain, uh, rare minerals, uh, things that we no longer make here. Others might say Iran, once they become nuclear capable, they may already be, but once they become nuclear capable, others might say that Iran, because we there is so much interconnectivity between our economy and China's that it would not be in their best interest to you know, to do anything to us, whereas the same could not be said for Iran. Some might say Russia because of their designs on being a global power again. But I would say if you're asking me, I would say we are potentially our own worst enemy. Mm. I mean, contrast is good. Conflict in the long run is unsustainable. So whether it's the media or the political parties or, you know, whatever someone may happen to choose to assign blame to we are most assuredly a divided country right now and a house divided cannot stand uh jesus said that and abraham lincoln said that if i'm not mistaken so mm-hmm. a divided house cannot stand i think there is nothing anyone can do to us that would be that would even approximate what we can do to ourselves Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that one, too. We're going to hold it right there. Be back right after this. Our last question comes from Dayton in Texas. He writes, will you please describe the golf clubs in your bag and whether you play with steel or graphite shafts? So there you go. There's our last question. That cannot be a real question. It is, actually. Thank you, Dayton, Uh, for that. (laughs) What is in my bag? Hopefully I pronounced that right. I don't know. You can correct what? that. Graphite is shafts? Yeah, graphite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the same thing that was in the number two pencil you wrote with in it school. It looked familiar, you, so I, took I was notes. hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really take a lot of notes, but <laughs> uh, what is in my bag? A uh, Tideless driver with an Autoflex shaft that a very, very kind uh, lady who watches our Sunday show sent me. So there are a lot of good driver heads. Um, you know, I don't want to start naming them because I'm going to leave one out. That, um, But there are a lot of them. I happen to have a Titleist driver head, but the shaft is an autoflex. A lot of people refer to it as the pink shaft. It, it is amazing. It is also amazingly expensive. So I would have had to forego getting any Christmas presents for Terry (laughs) or my children to buy it, which honestly I would have done, but she sent me one. So Tiger's driver with an Autoflex shaft, Callaway 3 wood. I have a hybrid, which is an old Cobra baffler that is probably Mary Langston your age, but I love it. And so it's a really, really old club, but I know exactly how far it goes and I like it. So it's still in the bag. Tideless T100 irons. And this is the graphite question he asked. 
Um, I do not. I have Project X 6.0 steel shafts. I don't have graphite. Um, they're uh, Project X, and they're steel. Two Vokey wedges and one Callaway wedge. The Callaway wedge I bent um, a little bit to be more uh, to to be a degree that I wanted um, in that particular wedge. Putter, uh, arguably the most important club in the bag. Right now, it's a Titleist Golo putter that my friend Michael Bre- Michael Breed sent me, who's been on our podcast before, and he's a wonderful human being, and mm. he's a golf genius. He's forgotten more about golf than I'll ever know, and he's a very, very generous guy. He sent me a Titleist Golo putter uh, a good long while ago, and um, and that's what I put with now. But honestly, Mary Linkson, that could change before nightfall. Um, <laughs> I, uh, as you have seen when you've been over to the house, I have a lot of putters, and mm-hmm. I am hard on them. I don't have uh, the only person I, the only thing I ever promised to never forsake or leave was my wife. I never said it about my putter at all. <laughs> So I have a bunch of them, and if that go low misbehaves, then there'll be another putter in the back, um, and a tideless golf ball. So, but I played them all. Played, man, I played Callaway a Callaway golf ball this weekend. So it, 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 I'm not really good enough to tell a huge difference in the golf ball. It's just kind of what it feels like coming off the putter face mainly, but. That's what's in the bag, and I never thought anybody would ever ask or care, but that's it. <laughs> now, if you could only have one club, which would you choose from that group that you shared? Uh, the putter, because of the sentimental value. I can replace all the rest of it, but, um, you know, just the fact that Breed, you know, I met Breed. It's a funny story. He and I were talking about it the other day. He came to Capitol Hill. And um, I had no idea he followed politics at all. Mm-hmm. And he said he wanted to meet me. He told somebody he wanted to meet me. And I, as you know, love golf. I've been watching him on the Golf Channel. He's not. He, he's on another network now, but I watched him on the Golf Channel forever. And he was down in Rayburn giving lessons. And I went down there, and we've been friends ever since. And he's a very, very generous guy and he mm-hmm. sent me a Titleist Golo putter with my initials on it. Like I got a bunch of putters as you have seen Mary Langston <laughs> and a lot of them have some sentimental value but that's the only one that you know I mean you know my son and I sort of collect them but that one came from Breed and I think he also sent one to Ratcliffe so later so that's the one. I can replace all the rest of it. I can go buy more Titleist irons. I can go buy, you know, I could probably find a Baffler hybrid somewhere on eBay, but not the putter that Bree gave me. So that would be the most important one. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering all these questions. They certainly asked the right person, especially with the golf one. <laughs> yeah, and I want to I be very, very clear here. I do not expect anyone to send me a whole bunch of golf stuff. <laughs> However, let me go ahead and give you my mailing address just in case there is. <laughs> that was so nice. Uh, I don't want to call her a name because she may not want me to use her name, but 
Um, her husband played on tour. She sent me that shaft, and I mean, I wasn't even going to put it in because it's so whippy. It, it's like <laughs> it's like uh, really, it's like swinging a wet spaghetti noodle, and it's counterintuitive. You would think you'd want a shaft that was really stiff, and this one is literally like swinging a wet spaghetti noodle. And so I, I kind of messed around with it. And as you know, I play most of my rounds with Tim Dunlavey, who played on tour, and mm-hmm. he is amazing. And he said, no, you're going to put it in. You're going to try it. <laughs> and I put it in at a course called Kyote. First time I ever played with it, Kyote. Tim literally got the little, little tool you get out to switch driver heads and shafts, and he did it right there in the parking lot. said, you're going to try it. And it has not come out of the club since. So amazing uh, technology, and you know, we'll see if it works this weekend when I play in a tournament. Well, fingers crossed. That was super generous of her to send that. Yeah, and I don't want fe- people feeling the need to send me like putters right. and golf balls and golf bags. And However, just questions. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. You've given me golf balls, Mary Langston. That's true. You know what, though? You know what's sad? I don't want to play the ones you get you gave me because I don't want to lose them. Isn't that sad? <laughs> oh, that is that's you, sad but sweet. You put you, you put play my with initials them. on them. Yeah, but you put my initials on them, and I, I don't I don't want to lose them. You could just save one and then play the rest. Mick Mulvaney used to give me golf balls on my birthday with something you know kind of snide written on the side. <laughs> Ratcliffe has done it too. Yeah, but I recall those. They're both so cheap now. Now they'd send me a text for my birthday. They don't give me anything. <laughs> now, the only golf balls I really get are, I mean, you give them to me. So, mm. and, I, and I don't want to lose them. Well, so that's really right sweet. You should play with them, though. And hopefully this weekend is great with yeah. golf. I should. But the other flip side of that is if I hit one in the rough or hit it in the water and somebody digs it out and it's got my name on it, then they know I'm the <laughs> one that hit it in the water. So yeah, that's the other side of it. Well, that probably won't happen, but that's pretty funny. Uh, my wife was walking and, uh, down to the tennis courts one time and and the tennis courts are kind of they're out of bounds on our golf mm-hmm. course. But she found a golf ball and brought it home. And you'll never guess whose golf ball it was. Whose? Mine. So my <laughs> wife knows I hit a ball out of bounds on number four. <laughs> Not only was it out of bounds, it was in somebody's front yard. It was a terrible shot. <laughs> terrible shot. It happens. Uh, it does. I, I hadn't done it in a while, but uh, but she found it. So, all right. Well, that's it, huh? That's it. Oh, well, thank you for wonderful questions. I love them. Mm-hmm. Answers are not getting any shorter. But when you <laughs> ask me criminal questions, you know that's the only thing I know anything about. So, of course, I'm going to like take some time on that. <laughs> of course. Well, y'all keep sending them our way, and I guess we'll see you next Thursday. All righty. You take care of yourself, and we will see y'all next week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The 
the Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day, featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.